Well, please find Acts chapter 20 in your Bible. This will be our last in this series of how the churches got started in the book of Acts that we later have letters to. And so there's a book in the Bible called The Letter of the Romans, where Paul writes to the Roman church. And my intention all along was to say um, how these different churches got started. We could hear their stories in the book of Acts. Um, Romans is, or Rome is not that easy to figure out. It's uh, kind of a mystery on how it got started. So we'll delve into that a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but this week will be 23 years of Grace Community Church. So we are 23 years old this year, this week. Can't believe it. Many here could tell you the story of how it got started. And we've told that story before and lived that story. And so uh, it's quite a story. And here we are. Today's a big day too. And I didn't, I just now thought of this. Today, the people at Trimble signed membership covenants to start Grace Trimble. So I didn't even think of this, but our anniversary and their anniversary are like going to happen at the exact same time. Praise God, I don't have another date to remember in my mind. But today's a big day. There were, there were several people that decided to basically take on a new endeavor and call it Grace Trimble. And they are officially a kind of a, a group of believers together now. That's, I'm excited about that. I don't know if you are, but I'm thrilled about that. Rome, how did that church get started? I can't tell you. And so here I am, you know, I set this up weeks in advance. Like I'm going to talk about this church and this church and this church. And I've already made up my mind. I'm going to figure out how the church of Rome started. And there's like nothing there. So try to be in a preacher who wants to preach out of the Bible. And it's like, where do you find that? So um, here, go to Acts 20. And you're going to say, after I read this, there's nothing in there about Rome. And that's exactly right. But we'll get there. They say all roads lead to Rome. Even Acts 20 has a road to Rome, and we'll make it. We'll make it. So this will be on the screen. I'll, I'll make a couple comments along the way. It says, when the uproar ended, in chapter 19, there was this big riot that happened in the city of Ephesus because of Christianity kind of taking over, and people were burning their idols, and the, the idol market went down and there was just a big riot there. Paul was thrown in, or they wanted to throw Paul in prison. Anyway, Paul sent for his disciple, for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Paul was no fool. They thought He thought they were going to throw him overboard, and so he decided to go a different way. He was accompanied by Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secondus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Um, Troas was a place where a kid fell asleep in a sermon and Paul raised him from the dead. So don't fall asleep. Let's pray. God, this passage seems unconnected um, to our topic of the day. We, God, I wanted to talk about the Church of Rome, and yet it seems like at first glance that there's not much here about that. Um, but God, I want you to just impress upon all of us that in unseen ways and through, frankly, unknown people, 
your work continues. And so help us to see that in your word and ultimately to point people to Jesus Christ and God to just rejoice in our relationship with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the point one I have, and this will give away how we get there, when the book was written, okay? And what I mean by when the book of Romans was written, most commentators believe that it was during this time when Paul's in Ephesus and in these three months when he's getting ready to leave that Paul writes a few letters. And one of those is the book of Romans. And so that's how we got from Acts 20 to the to the church of Rome. We had seen this, I think it was last week or so, but or maybe on a Wednesday night. Look at verse uh, 21 of chapter 19. And this is under the heading, he had planned to go. Paul wanted to go to Rome. For the same reason he wanted to go to some of the other cities, major city, center of the Roman Empire of the known world. It was a major military, political setting, and he wanted to go there and share the gospel and go to the world. But verse, 19, verse chapter 19 tells us this. After all this had happened, again, that riot, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Okay? Now, I want to draw a couple things just out of, out of this verse. Paul, we saw it in the passage in chapter 20 where he waited until a certain festival came up, and now he wants to get to Rome. Paul had this idea that he... He wanted to do something for the Lord. That his whole life was around the agenda God had set, not the agenda Paul had set. He was following the Spirit where he could, and when the Spirit said, don't go that way, he'd go another way. But his his main deal was, I want to obey, and I want to be open to what God wants me to do for the kingdom of God. And so... He decides to go one way, but then he says these words, and this is what just I've been ruminating on this week. After I've been to all these places, I must visit Rome also. He wasn't going as a tourist. He was going as a herald of the gospel. And his whole life was organized around, I must do something with this good news that I have. I had a, a, a gentleman this week, um, it was a weird kind of meeting with this guy, and he was an odd gentleman, but I met with him to um, exchange goods. I, I, you know, I sell that stuff on Facebook, and so we made this agreement, and I started to pull away, and he goes, hey, come back here. And my first thought was, he's, he doesn't want to make the deal now or something. I thought he was mad at me. He goes, I got something for you to put on your bucket list. And this is a weird guy to start with, so I'm like, I hope there's cameras and all this kind of stuff. He goes, go to Estes Park. Between October or yeah, September fifteenth and October fifteenth, because that's when the elk rut. Put it on your bucket list. It better be top five on your bucket list. And I'm like, all right, peel out of there, get out of there as quick as I can. Now I want to go to Estes Park in September. But anyway, I said we've got enough elk in Smithville. I can hear them bugle all I want up here. Well, it was on his bucket list. He very obviously thought it was something important. And what? So here's my connection. Where must you go? on your bucket list that has any kind of spiritual implications whatsoever. See, see what I'm saying? Not, I'm not even talking about I, need to, I want to go to the Holy Land so I can see this stuff. No, where must you go to share the gospel? See, there were people in Rome that needed Jesus. Is it, think of the bucket list you hear. Do you ever hear, I must go to my neighbors with Jesus. I must go to my workplace. I must go to my classroom or my team. It just doesn't get up there. That shows, I think, we've missed what this life is all about. 
And so, I, I mean, honestly, one thing I want you to ask, and I'll, I'll ask later on in the service, if you're convicted in this area, then here's what we all need to do. And this is me too. I need to convict, I need to confess this to the Lord. I need to repent of it. And with God's help, start putting places like, I must get the gospel there. Don't be content if there's people that don't know Jesus. And it's not even on your list to say, I need to get there to share Jesus with them. And you don't have to go across the world even. I mean, you go across the street, go up the road to tra- whatever. There's options to do that. But I'm convicted. I, maybe that's, I'm not yelling at you as much as just trying to get out of my system. I'm convicted that, it, that Estes Park is not on my top five bucket list. But neither is, frankly, sharing with the gospel with lost people. It needs to be on that list. And it doesn't need to be top five. It needs to be top one, right? Paul had that kind of agenda. I must go there. So that's, he planned to go. And here's where we get to Rome. Point B is he penned the book. This is again when he wrote the letter. Now, just to clarify a little bit, when he wrote other letters like to Corinth or Ephesus or the book to the Colossians or whatever, he's writing to churches that he formed or at least was a part of the ground we're going to find out Rome already had a church. And so he's writing in advance to people that are already gathering as a church. He hadn't been there yet. He hadn't planted this church. He obviously knew some people, apparently. and But he's writing in advance verses like Corinthians. It's writing backwards to, hey, you guys are messing up or need some teaching in this area. He's writing in such a way that I want to get some information to you regarding the gospel and who Jesus is and all that. Which brings me to point three, the purpose for his writing. Why did Paul write this letter to the Romans differently than he wrote Ephesians or Colossians? Well, if you know much about your Bibles and have been around church long enough, Romans, the book of Romans, is a very weighty book. It's got like major doctrines in it, right? And it centers around salvation. In fact, there's a part of the book that we call the Roman road, the Roman road of salvation. Paul was writing to people he had not yet visited with in advance to say, we need to be certain on this topic. This is like, he's not writing to the Corinthians saying, you guys are suing each other and you know, you're doing all kinds of bad things. Clean that up. He's saying, let's, let's make sure when he spent two years in Ephesus, I suspect that what he did for two years in Ephesus was much what he wrote to the Romans saying, let's be clear on the gospel. Okay. Let's be clear about what it means to need the gospel. And at least in the early chapters of Romans, here's the point. I don't care if you're Jewish or Greek. By the way, there were both Jews and Greeks in Rome at the church. All of you have sinned, whether you're really, really religious or not. And all of you can be saved through Jesus Christ. All have sinned and all can be saved, regardless of your background. And so that's point C, the purpose of his writing. He's writing, I think, to lay that foundation. And as I said, there's a thing called the Roman road. So I'm going to walk you through the Roman road. I'm going to do it different. It gets done different ways. There's certain voice or verses that get picked out here. But here's where my mind went with this. And so the next, yeah, we have a dilemma, okay? Every one of us is in a ditch, if that's too light of a way to say it. But we're, we're dead in our sins. We deserve God's wrath. And we don't want to stay there if God's working on our heart. And so we're in this dilemma. And the way that Paul puts it, everybody's lost. So picture your GPS right now. If I type in, I want to go such and such a place, it'll say, where do you want to start from, right? Your current location or your home and the little bubble that pops up with the dot in it, you are here, 
Okay? Every human being is lost. That's what Paul writes to the Romans. We want to get someplace. We want to get to spend eternity with God. And so the way you get from where you are to your destination is you follow the turns that the machine tells you to follow, or in this case, that the book of Romans tells you to follow. And that's your directions. That's how you get there. And the way I phrase it is, everybody's lost. We want eternal life, but trust the Lord. That's how you get from point A to point B. Or, and and here's the verses, just to clarify. Romans 3 talks about it, 6. You can just see these verses. We're going to walk through those verses right now. Okay? So first of all, when it comes to the dilemma part of it, look what Romans 3, 10 through 12 says. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, that doesn't mean there's not good people in the world. It just means when it comes to being right with God, nobody's done the right thing. Everybody's fallen short. In fact, that's what Romans 3, 23 and 24 say. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me just stop there for a second. Paul is writing, and right before this, he will say, there are Jews among you who are very, very religious. And there are Gentiles around you who have turned away from even what they know about God and creation. Combined, all have sinned. Not only every individual has sinned, but every class of people has sinned. We're all condemned. You are here. So, verse 24 is the good news. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're all condemned, but we can all be saved. Romans 6, 23. Because you might say, well, I, I'm not saved, but I no big deal. Well, the wages of sin is death. Because we've all turned away, we all deserve the punishment of God. A holy God, a just God, cannot just let sin slide. But he sent his son, so the second part of that verse, the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Okay? goes on, uh, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were, are still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't care how bad you think you've blown it. God knew that before he sent Jesus. I can almost picture the conversation. It didn't really happen, but I can picture it. You, of, of Jesus saying to the Father, you know, do you want me to go save that scoundrel? Don't you know what he's going to do? And the conversation ends with it. Yes. Go save that person. I, if you're here today and you think I'm too far from God, Jesus knew that way before you ever heard this message. And so all of sin, or I'm sorry, all the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Romans 5, 8, why we were still sinners. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise of God. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, I don't care what you've done or how righteous you think you are. Romans 5.1, since we have been, and now we're getting to the promises of eternal life here, since we have been justified through faith, so how do you get saved? You place your trust in Jesus Christ. You don't work for it, it's by faith. Since you have been um, justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're now reconciled to God. There's no separation between you and us. And then some great promises come. Chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is not a single accusation against any Christian anywhere, no matter what they've done, that will stick. See, I can, I can stand before a holy God. And, and, and right now it's kind of scary and shameful to think, man, he knows everything I've ever done, thought, 
wanted to do, said, didn't say, but mumbled under my breath. You know, he knows all of that stuff. And I'm embarrassed and ashamed of it. But when it comes to, am I guilty of those things? No, because Jesus Christ paid for each and every one of them. There is no condemnation that will stick. Yeah, verses 31 through following. And because all this is true, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and by the way, this is so. This is like Philippians four thirteen. This is so much more than winning a football game this afternoon, or, or getting the job, or you know, getting through the tough thing. It's not God's for us like He really wants us to have a good life. If God is for us when it comes to the the, the trial of my life before a holy God, He's on my side. He's on my defense team, and He's the judge. And his son is the defense attorney, right? I mean, it's just it's stacked against the enemy, praise God. If he's for me, eternally, like salvation-wise, if he's for me, then who can be against us? He who did not spend, spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along, all, along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? You want to say that with me? No one. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because nobody can bring a credible accusation that will stick against any believer in Jesus Christ because he paid for that penalty. No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. That's not just he's answering our prayers. As the accusations come, again, I don't want to make this too you know, trivial, but he's saying to the judge, the Heavenly Father, that's been taken care of. That doesn't stand. He's interceding for us in this trial, if you will. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? By the way, Paul was living those things out as he was writing these words. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, Neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the Roman road. That's the answer to the things I told you. You're lost. You are here. The way to get to eternal life with no condemnation is to trust Jesus. So Paul writes that to the Romans because he wants that to be clear from the beginning, right? That's the, that's the start of all of this. And I'm going to ask you at the end, I'll ask you now, have you ever walked that road? Okay, and I want to put it this way. You're either at point A or you're at point C. Does that make sense? But the way you get there is point. So you're not walking a road to earn salvation. You're either dead in your sins right now and deserving deserving the wrath of God, or you're safe because nothing can separate you and there's no condemnation. The way you did that was you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. So don't confuse this with, I've got to walk, when I say have you walked the road, I can put it this way, it's a short trip, you know, you know when you type in, it's it's 19 miles, it's going to take you 22 minutes to get there because of traffic, like the thief on the cross, today you can be with Jesus in paradise, like that, 
Now, this part's kind of fun for me because my mind goes in places. This may be one of the things I should never say, but we live in a world that right now tells us we can identify with whoever or whatever we want to identify as, right? Now, that's wrong, just truthfully speaking, but put it into a spiritual context here. Don't, don't, don't go chasing those rabbits. I shouldn't have introduced those rabbits to you. You cannot just identify as a Christian. You can't. You're either born again into the kingdom of God or you're not. And I'm afraid some of us identify as Christians, but we've never asked Jesus to actually save us and we're not born again. Okay? So Paul wants to make that clear. That's when he wrote the book. That's how we got from Acts 20 to Rome. Now, point two. Well, when did the church begin? When did the work begin there? And this will sound very redundant because every church we've talked, we've tackled in these last few weeks comes down to kind of the same things. Under this, first of all, is, and I, I did you a favor, instead of seven blanks or seven points, I gave you three, but I combined a bunch of them. A is Pentecost and persecution. How did the church of Rome start? Well, we read at Pentecost, and this is found in Acts chapter 2. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and verse 10 tells us even visitors from Rome. So they're in Jerusalem for the festivals. They're from Rome. Pentecost happens, 3,000 people get saved, more get saved after that. Eventually, persecution breaks out, and so we get to chapter 8, verse 1. This is when Stephen dies for his faith, by the hands of Paul, by the way. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So those visitors from Rome now get run out of town. Some of them go back to Rome. Well, if you jump ahead to chapter 18, and I think we've covered this on Sunday morning, there was a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So you get that. They show up at Jerusalem. They get saved at Pentecost. They go back to their hometown. Then they get run out because they're scattered because of persecution, and they get sent out. And sure enough, Priscilla and Aquila meet with Paul there. So how did the church of Rome start? The power of the Holy Spirit, and then God moved around the globe by persecuting them, right? Guess how churches get started today? A, it's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit. If we, we need to pray, and we're going to do that today, that God will send out people that have a passion for the gospel, that spiritual bucket list of furthering the kingdom. We also need to pray that people will receive that gospel. It's got to take the Holy Spirit to do both those things. But often it's the challenges of life that move us places we don't want to go, that is the persecution, if you will. And we use that term way too loosely in this setting, I think. But we can get very, very comfortable in our own little setting. And that's why the evangelism is not on our bucket list. Because I just like things here, right? I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I don't want to get out of where it's just it's a good thing and, and even risk going someplace else where I don't know things or I don't want to know things. And so through both Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, and persecution... The church in Rome was formed. Well, who started it? This is point B. Peter, Paul, and you know it can't be Mary because that would not start with a P. Peter, Paul, or the people. Now, I've had to dance around this all week long. When I say the Roman church, in our vernacular today, many people think of the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church, or the church of Rome. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something different. In fact, on some of these key issues, they differ in that theology of you're not walking a road to earn things. You're just there, right? But many believe, or some believe, that Peter started. The Catholic Church will tell you that Peter was the first bishop of Rome. 
There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that. That's the issue. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that says Peter went to Rome. Now, it's just not said, so I can't, you know, argue definitively about that. Um, there is a verse in Acts someplace, or Luke, where they're all talking and Luke leaves for a while and they can't find him. But then he shows up, or Peter leaves for a while and they can't find him. And the, some Catholics will say, well, that's when he went to Rome. Well, and the way I'm reading it, it was like a day later he was back and they don't have planes. So I don't know. I don't want to get in all that. But I don't think Peter was the founder of the church of Rome. Okay. The way our study has gone, you might think Paul was the founder of the church of Rome. But we've already read he was wanting to get there. In fact, he would write something to that Roman church. This is a Romans 5.20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has, was, is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul seems to recognize, even in his writing to the church, somebody else has already started a, a work there. So he wants to go beyond that. That's his deal. He would say later, he want, in other passages, I want to go even to Spain. And so he's always, I think there's a hint there that Paul was not the founder of the church of Rome. And so this is our third blank. It's the people. I've shared this from, I think, every single Sunday. It's just common, everyday, ordinary people that have on their bucket list to share Jesus with people. And they preach the word and they share the gospel wherever they go. And Paul often, when we say he started a church, he's just coming in on what God is already doing there through the normal, everyday people. It's not, by and large, the paid people that do this. Even here at Grace Community Church, it's not the paid people that do this. Trust me, you could pay everybody you pay here, and if y'all weren't doing what y'all are doing, it would be a pretty lonely place around here. It'd be miserable. And you'd be overpaying us, right? So... It's the people that do this. And this is where I want to, I don't want to disconnect. Back to chapter 20 of Acts. Who is so Pater? And uh, I always get Aristarchus and Secondus. Who are these people? Now, they didn't technically start the book or the church at Rome, but they're a part of this process of just people on the ground. And so I want to make a few comments about these people because trust me, when we get to heaven and they start handing out awards, okay, we can talk about this again. See, when the MVP award goes out, of course, that's Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. But you know who a lot of them are going to be? Are nobodies that you've never heard of because they prayed for their neighbor or they shared their faith with their children or they did this or they did that. It's not going to be, bless their hearts, like people like Billy Graham even. I mean, and he did great things. I'm not throwing shade on him. But this is a movement of just the people of God. And, and so let's go through these names because I had fun with this. And again, Hopefully it's fun for you if it's fun for me. So Peter, anybody got that on their list of baby names? So Peter, and his father's name was Pyrrhus. We don't know anything about So Peter except his dad's name was Pyrrhus and they came from Berea. How I wish Berea started with a P, right? But it doesn't. So Peter, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. Here's what we can glean even from that. A no-name person who's a a, a companion of Paul was probably, in my guess, raised in a godly home. We know Berea because that's where the Bereans are, and they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they would go home and search their Bibles to see if what Paul told them was true. When it comes to furthering the kingdom, do not underestimate the value of a Christian home. And I said this very specifically in the first service, I mean it this way. Don't don't make it your goal to raise Christian children. 
Make it your goal to be a Christian home. And guess what? A lot of children get saved that way. There's one way of thinking, if I can just get my kids into the church, and parents will often go to a church just long enough for their kids to kind of get through youth group and get baptized, and then we never see them again. Kids see right through that, folks. But if mom and dad, and and Dave and I were talking about specifically dad, if dad gets saved, the percentages are huge that the family will get saved. But we heard a statistic this week about the greatest missionaries on the planet are mothers right now. Children come to faith because their mom comes to faith. This is part of what's going on here. Don't underestimate just taking care of those people in your home. Now, I had a couple of episodes this week where I thought, you know, my, my boys are gone and grown by now, and I can't go back and do any of that. I'm, that ship sailed for us a little bit. But th- I saw a guy playing a piano this week, and he was just having fun with it. And I thought, man, I wish I could play the piano. And then yesterday I was in a store and there was this cute little Hispanic couple, older couple, and they were, husband and wife were just having a blast, but they were speaking this language I don't understand. It was called Spanish, okay? And I said to myself, man, I wish I could speak Spanish because I wanted to hear what they were saying. They were sure having a fun time and I wanted to interact with them. I can't do either one of them. And then every once in a while you might have these conversations, man, I wish I was more prepared for retirement than I am. You know, I wish I'd have started saving money way back then. And you might be here saying, boy, I wish I knew my Bible better like the people in Berea. Or man, I wish I'd have invested more in my family and stuff like that. See, our spiritual growth is just like those other things. I could be a great piano player today. If when my mom made me take lessons, I just stuck with it. Or I could speak Spanish if I really took my Spanish classes seriously in high school and college. I could be better off financially if I really thought about that when I was younger. We could be more mature spiritually if we really took it seriously. It's the same principle. Paul would say, some of y'all would be teachers by now, but you're not. Well, I think, so Peter had the experience of growing up, and and I'm speculating here, but in Berea with a father named Pyrrhus. And then we get to these two people, Aristarchus and Secundus. And I I mean, I'll I'll skip the rest. Well, maybe kind of. Okay, game doesn't start until five something tonight. Aristarchus. You might think of the word aristocracy or an aristocrat. That's where this comes from. Whoever this guy was, we know from other passages in Colossians and Acts that he was wealthy, that he hung out with Paul during the riots there, that he went to Rome with Paul, and in fact he was thrown in prison there with him. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. Okay, Very wealthy man apparently, successful person, high in uh, the culture. And then next to him from Thessalonica is a guy named Secondus. That's a weird name, don't you think? What do you think of when you hear the word secondus? Second, right? That's because slaves at that day were often not called by their real names, if they even knew them. The best slave in the house was called primus, and the second best slave in the house was called, guess what? Secondus. We don't know if this is a real name or not, but it was common at the time. So these two men from the same area of Thessalonica are following Paul. They're both valuable in the service. And one is at the top of the social ladder, and one doesn't even know his name because he's not even the best slave. He's the second best slave. This is when I yelled a couple weeks ago, interracial, inter stratus of we should not be in this room together except for what Jesus Christ did. We even let a Philadelphia Eagles fan do announcements and read Scripture this morning. <laughs> Yes. By the way, we fretted over that. So is, he, is he in here? He's not in here. Early in the week, because we had scheduled this before we knew who was in the Super Bowl, kind of, and we're like, do you realize we have let 
the most vocal Eagles fan we know on stage on Sunday. So anyway, I think he did fine. But the church should be full of that. People from all walks of life because of the Roman road. All have sinned and all are saved the same way. Then you got a guy named Gaius who had been also caught up in the riot. He was very hospitable. We know from the book of Romans, he was baptized by Paul. Timothy, I think you know. There's a guy named Tychicus. By the way, Tychicus means fortunate. And the rest of his story, he ends up getting martyred. And you might say, well, that's a bummer of a nickname, you know, fortunate, got killed. And I immediately went to Paul's word. No, that's better by far. His martyrdom was very fortunate. He's with Jesus sooner than he would have been. And then Trophimus, he's famous too if you read in Acts chapter 21. Paul ends up getting arrested and eventually taken to Rome. Back to that whose idea was it to go to Rome. God was going to get him there through prison. And there's this guy named Trophimus who was um, a Greek. And Paul would go into the temple. And it says there, and this is Acts 21, 29. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So Paul, a Jewish rabbi, was close enough friends with this Ephesian Greek that people assumed wrongly that he had drugged the unclean Gentile into the temple courts. And that started a riot, ends up getting Paul arrested and eventually to Rome. And the story I thought of, or what I thought of was, I hope I'm close enough to unclean, unsaved people that people might question Am I a friend of sinners? You know? Now, we can bring sinners into the church, unlike the temple there, but are, do we even have those kind of evangelistic relationships where people might say, you know, you hang out with that, that sinner over there. And I'm like, well, you know, we, we get along because we're both sinners. And so th- those names are instructive to me. And I think that's the kind of people God uses to grow a church. Point C is planning and providence. And I'll move very quickly through this. Whose idea was to start a church in the center of the Roman Empire where it would spread and within 300 years be the official religion of that empire? Well, it was both Paul's idea. He wanted to do it. We've already seen that. He wanted to go there, but it was also God's idea, and he had arranged things just to be the case. In Acts 21, we already read, I want to visit Rome. I'm sorry, Acts 19, 21. In Acts 28, there were some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And when he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Whose idea was it to go to Rome? Paul wanted to go. God made sure he got there in chains and eventually death. But the church was going to reach the world. And that's how God started the church at Rome. Let me ask you these three questions. One or two questions. Have you walked the Roman road? Don't leave here today thinking you've reached your destination. If you're not saved and born again, you're dead in your sins. You're expectant of God's wrath, justly so. And that's what awaits you at death or Jesus' return. Are you working for your reward? And I mean that in the the sense that Jesus will recognize what gets done for the kingdom. And it won't be the big fancy things. It'll be the people praying and working and stuff like that. And so what we're going to do in a moment is worship our Redeemer.
There's a song we're going to sing called Consuming Fire, and it says, fan into a flame, a passion for your name. What's been on my heart all week, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and raise your hands here in a second. But I will raise mine just so you know when your eyes are closed. Do you need, let me put it this way, a spiritual kick in the rear end and admit, because we want revival in this land. But listen, revival won't happen out there unless there's a revival here. And there won't be a revival here if there's not a revival here. And revivals don't just start because you wish them. Christians repent of sin and they confess that they need God to do this. We need to, and again, I'll be raising my hand, repent that taking the kingdom, I don't have a I must go place on my bucket list. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to start drawing up plans. I'm just saying, let's admit that frankly, that's not even on our radar screen. Okay, well, you close your eyes, bow your heads. If you will just admit with me this morning that you need to repent of that, confess that to the Lord, and ask him, as we're about to sing, to fan into flame a passion for his name. Would you just raise your hand quietly? Okay, I'm telling you, God will use that if we mean it. And so let's pray, God, would you just fan into flame a passion for your name. It is so easy, God, to look at our culture and our world and ask you to fix all that. God, we need fixing. God, my prayer this morning is for those that don't know you. We have made it crystal clear where a person is without Christ and where they can be with him. And I pray for some, God, that they would give their life to your son, Jesus Christ. That they would take that short step of faith from death and eternal damnation to life and no condemnation. God, that takes a work of your Holy Spirit. And we ask you to do that. God, for us as a church, and more importantly for each and every individual in here that knows you, would you make it a passion of ours? Could we write a sentence like Paul, I must go there with the gospel. God, put it on our bucket list. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to call out to you and now to sing out to you this prayer of fanning into flame a passion for your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.